Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a great show for you this week. MLB playoffs are here. Yankees are kicking off the uh, postseason against the Minnesota Twins this weekend. We have wild card games. We have a lot of stuff happening. I'm going to be joined by the editor of Baseball Digest, Rick Cerrone, in just a bit. We're going to talk about the big headlines entering the postseason. A little bit of Mets talk in there as well. Great interview with Rick coming up. Also going to have week five picks for Show Me the Money. I'm going to be joined by Giant fan Phil Lombardo and make the picks. I had a good week last week of the picks. Went two and one. Had one stinker, two good ones. So we'll see if I can keep the momentum going forward here with the picks. This week, also stay tuned to the end of the show for the two-minute drill where I'll talk about my concerns with the NFL. I have two big ones with them right now. We had a good weekend of football games, but I have some concerns. I'll air those at the end of the show, but we'll get all rolling with this week's opening tip where we take a look at the Mets season, do a little post-mortem on them. We're still waiting on news about if Mickey Callie will be back, but I'll give you a state of the union on the Monday after the season ends right after this. First plate appearance since July the 26th. Two out and two on. Dom cracks one. Deep right center. Back toward the wall. It's out of here. (laughs) The never say die Mets finish the season on an incredible note. All right, we are back. This week's opening tip. That call you heard courtesy of SNY's Gary Cohen. The final play of the 2019 season for the New York Mets. A walk-off three-run homer from Dominic Smith in his first play appearance in two months as the Mets sweep the Braves, get to 86-76, and thanks to that win, they hit the over for the betters on the overrun total for the season, including me. Take a very small victory lap there. They over under number was 85 and a half for the Mets. They won 86 games on the last game of the season. Great moment for Dom Smith, who, again, out for two months with a stress fracture, comes into the game to pinch hit, drives on over the wall. Mets win the game. It's a very mixed bag kind of year for the Mets. They finish 86 and 76. They don't make the playoffs. They had their first winning season since 2016. They have only their third winning season since 2008. No postseason, but there's a lot of good, a lot of bad. Let's kind of take a look at some of these perspectives here. I mean, we'll start with the positive. We'll be good here. The biggest positive come out of this year is obviously Pete Alonzo. Pete Alonzo shatters the Mets single season home run record, leads the major league in home runs, and breaks the record for most home runs by a rookie. Aaron Judd said two years ago, 52. Pete ends with 53. Let's listen to call from WCBS's Wayne Randazzo of number 53 for Pete Alonso on Saturday night against the Braves starter Mike Fultonevich. Two balls and one strike pitch. Hits it high in the air, right center field. Hamilton looks back. He's at the wall. He leaps. It's gone. Home run number 53. And Pete Alonso stands alone. As Major League Baseball's rookie home run king. And that was quite a moment for the Mets and for Pete Alonso. And this has been the year of Pete Alonso fourth in the New York Mets. Because it's hard to believe this, folks. Remember, back in spring training, there was talk he wouldn't make the roster on opening day. 
He and Dodd Smith were battling for that first base job. Both of them were hitting well. And there was a logical argument he made based on the CBA saying, you know what? Dom's hitting well. Start Dom at first to start the year. Put P and AAA Syracuse. Bring him up after two and a half weeks when the get the extra year of team control where you get free agency after 2025 instead of after 2024. The Mets said, nah, we want the best players here. They brought him up. Those first uh, two and a half weeks of the season, he hit six home runs. He's not breaking that record if he's down in the minor leagues the first two and a half weeks of the season. And what we saw here, folks, with Pete Alonso was the emergence of a superstar and the new face of this franchise. I think it's very, very fitting that on the second to last game of the season last year, 2018, I was in the park for that one. That was when Met fans said goodbye to David Wright. And Met fans said goodbye to their leader, their captain, their star for the last 13, 14 years. Now we get to a year later, almost the day, but a day off, but the same date, Saturday night, last home game of the season, Pete Alonzo hits number 53, breaks the record Judge had for two years, and he's become the face of this franchise. Pete Alonzo has done all the right things all year long. I mean, hits the home runs, drives in runs in big spots. A lot of his home runs were go-ahead or game-winning homers, and that was a lot of fun to see. Also doing great stuff off the field where, then again, back to a couple weeks ago, the 9-11 cleats, that was all Pete Alonzo's idea. Pete Alonzo went around. There's a great story about this on The Athletic, by the way. You should go check that out, where Pete talks, where Pete throws around, basically asks all of his teammates for the cleats. They put that together in a span of about a week. That's an incredible gesture there by Pete, and he does all the right things. He's answering questions after his game at the locker room. He, even when it's not about him, he's standing there answering the questions. He's trying to get the fans fired up. He starts the LFGM movement on Twitter just by sitting at home one night saying, you know what? I want to get this fan base fired up. I'm going to do something. This is the Pete Alonzo era now for the Mets. And they never have a player like this. They never really have the homegrown superstar. I mean, they're few and far between from them. We had Wright. We had Daryl Strawberry. That's it. That's really it in terms of the homegrown offensive superstar approach. Yes, Mike Piazza was a superstar for them, but they traded for him. Yes, Carlos Beltran was great for them, but they signed him as a free agent. Pete Alonso is their homegrown star. He's the leader of his team. He took the mantle from right as face of the franchise. That's a huge positive for the Mets. Another good positive, Jeff McNeil. At the end of last year, he has that great like six-week stretch where he's great. But the Mets weren't sure about it. They made the trade for Cano to give themselves options. McNeil comes out, hits 318, hits 23 homers. Good year for Jeff McNeil. Showing that he could be a future batting champion. He and Alonzo are the core of his team right now. Jake DeGrom, after the Cy Young performance last year, he has the 170 RA. You're thinking, he can't do that again. He didn't do that again, but he came pretty close. He finished a 261 ERA, 110 game because the Mets are again incompetent at playing when he's on the mound, but still the favorite now to win the Cy Young again. And you know how many pitchers in the history of New York baseball have won consecutive Cy Youngs? That's the list. That's it. No one has. DeGrom, if he gets it, will be the first New York pitcher in the history of the baseball to win back-to-back Cy Youngs, which is incredible. And Another great positive for the Mets. We have 
a young core emerging on this roster. You have Pete Alonso. You have Jeff McNeil. You have Ahmed Rosario, who um, came out huge in the second half. Michael Conforto hits 33 home runs at career high. Brandon Nimmo comes back on the injury list late in the year and hits very well. J.D. Davis, what a find that guy was. And everybody was ripping that trade at times, saying Brody gave up too much in terms of prospects, that the Astros know what they're doing, and they gave up J.D. Davis for because they knew he was going to get bust. J.D. comes here, a part-time role, hits 22 home runs. J.D. Davis is the first Astro trade mistake in a while. And their first real mistake since they gave up on J.D. Martinez. Great job on the Nets finding that. And him, and Dom Smith breaking out after a bad first couple of years. You have a lot of good pieces on this team. A good young core. But they did not make the playoffs. And let's look at why. Number one, obvious, with a bullet. The bullpen stunk. They were awful. If the Mets convert four of those horrific losses into wins, they are in the wild card game. They're in Washington on Tuesday. They are not playing golf times. The big culprit of that, Edwin Diaz, who was an absolute disaster for the Mets all year long. I mean, he just melted down, kept home run after home run after home run, and he had a horrific year. Jerry Samilia was not much better, but boy, that trade turned into a disaster, the Diaz-Cano trade. I grant you, Cano's hit better towards the end of the year, but he is going to be 37 next year. He has four years left on his contract, and the Mets probably better off without him. Because Jeff, they, one of the reasons they brought him here is because they did not believe Jeff McNeil could be the everyday second baseman. Well, Jeff McNeil can, and now he can't play there. He's going to probably go to third next year because Todd Frazier is going to walk, and they don't need to bring Todd back. But you could have had a lot of problems solved by not having Cano's money there. You could have had Jared Kelnick in your farm system, who is turning into a star prospect. Justin Dunn has already made the majors for the Mariners. It could be in the rotation next year. That trade was made simply to get Diaz here. The Cano portion of it was basically to get Diaz onto the team, but that trade was bad for the Mets. You have to hope for the Mets that you can fix Diaz because otherwise he's going to take another year, and you can't afford that with this core just getting closer and closer to free agency. The other issue I have with this team is the manager, Mickey Callaway, who he deserves credit. This team did not quit. This team was 40-51 and 51 at one point. They went 46-25 and 25 down the stretch to get above 500. And they played 21 games above after the All-Star break, after that first game when they lost to Miami. Great job by him, but way too often, mistakes managing the bullpen, weird choice with the lineup, weird pinch hitting decisions. I just think he's a little overmatched for this market. And they have not made a decision yet about his future. I'm recording on Monday. That's supposed to come later this week. I'll be shocked if he's not, if he's back. I would be shocked if they bring him back. Everything I gather here, the sense is that the Mets want to move on. Brody Van Wagen did not hire Mickey Callaway. He wants his own guy. And it remains to be seen whether or not ownership will pay up to get one of the big-name managers in the market. And there's a lot of them. Joe Madden just got let go by the Cubs. Joe Girardi's been out of a job for a couple of years now. You have Dusty Baker without a job. You have Buck Schulter without a job. Clint Hurdles without a job. A lot of good managers are out there. The Mets historically have been cheap with their managers. Mickey Cow is making under a million dollars per salary. 
Joe Maddox is getting close to six with the Cubs. Joe Girardi is making a pretty penny at the end of his tenure with the Yankees. I think Brody wants to make the splash. I think he wants to get a big-name manager in here because, as I'll get to in a second, the payroll is something else. The payroll is a bit of a mess next year, so they may not spend a ton, so they may say, you know what, we need to better utilize the talent we have in the building. A good manager will do that. It remains to see if the ownership will give Brody the okay to go get one of the big fish if he wants one. And that's where we go next is what happens next year. Is this like the 2005 Mets where they had a great run in the second half, came up short, next year won 97 games and made the NLCS and could have gotten to the World Series if not for a disastrous performance in Game 7. But they have issues to address. They have to fix that bullpen because I don't know what you can do with it because you're stuck with Familia. His contract is paying him $11 million each of the next two years. No one's taking him off your hands. Edwin Diaz, he's at an all-time well. You could try and shop him, but are you getting much back? Is it worth it? I would argue it is just for the fact that you're still going to get assets here and you're not compounding a mistake, but I also see the point that we only had him a year, and relief pitching is very fickle. Maybe next year he's more of a Seattle Edwin Diaz than what we saw this year. If he is that, that fixes a lot of the issues you have right there. The rotation is still a question because you have uh, Jacob DeGrom next year locked up long-term. You have Marcus Drow and you have Steven Maddox who are going to be here. Zach Wheel is a free agent. Do you bring him back? I would. The question with them is, will they pay the money for it? And this is a case where I think he was so good the second half, I think you have to. You give him the qualifying offer, he rejects it, sign him to a contract because you need someone that rotation locked up long-term besides Jacob DeGrom. I think Wheeler should be that guy. You also have the Noah Syndergaard question because he's been in trade rumors for about a couple of years now. His value is not very great right now. I mean, officially 420 ERA, very inconsistent all year long. And I will not be shocked they shop him again. The key with him is, do you believe you can fix him? Because if you should fix him, you have the great rotation the entire season. And then you have a great shot to win the division and get to the playoffs. But if you're trading him, what are you getting back? Are you getting back an everyday player? Are you getting back a pitching prospect? Are you getting back bullpen arms? You have to nail the return if you're trading Noah Syndergaard. I think you have to. And that's the question is, do you keep Syndergaard or Wheeler or both? What you do there determines what you get out of the rotation because they were extremely healthy as a staff last, this year. DeGrom made a full potential full season of the starts. They all pretty much started the entire season. Syndergaard missed a couple weeks in there. Stroman and Vargas combined to pitch 29 games for the Mets. Mets missed, I think, a start. Same for Wheeler, missed about a start or two. Beyond the starting five, the rotation is very thin. If Wheeler walks, how are you replacing him? Is Seth Lugo going in the rotation? I wouldn't mind that, but it hurts the bullpen. Is Walker Lockett going in the rotation? That's not the answer. Are you paying an arm and a leg for a fifth start in free agency? I don't think so. And I think you have to wait. Do we keep guys like Dom and J.D. Davis, or we trade one of them trying to address other areas in need? This team could still use a full-time center fielder. I don't know how they're getting one, but they could use one. This team could use a quality bullpen. This team could use pitching depth, but they don't have a lot of cash because they have a lot of money outlaid already. 
they have a lot of decisions to make. It's a very critical offseason for the Mets because they're very close. They were right there. They were not that far off the postseason. So Brody has them in the right direction, but they need to hike the payroll here and make sure they get what they need to finish the job here. It's another year of it was a fun ride. We came close and fall short is not good enough. Now you've shown you're going the right direction. You have to keep building. You can't just bring this group back and say, okay, we're going to try it again. We're going to replace Lugo in the bullpen. We're going to put him in the rotation and replace Zach Wheeler. That's not going to work. You need to do something to add to this core. Maybe it's you finally get a big bat. I don't know, but tr- you got to figure out what it is. If there is an offseason for the Mets, we'll keep an eye on them as we go along in the next coming weeks. But up next, we'll talk about the early playoff teams with Rick Sorrell from Baseball Digest right after this. The 2-1. High drive, left field. There it goes. See ya. A long home run for Stanton. He crushed it. one nothing Yanks. All right, we are back on the podcast here. That call is her courtesy of Yes Network's Michael K. John Carl Stan hitting his 300th career home run this weekend as the Yankees get ready to make their run at the 28th of a World Series championship. Join me today to talk about some of the big storylines entering the MLB playoffs. The editor of Baseball Digest, uh, Rick Cerrone, is on the phone with us. Rick, welcome, and how are you today? Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a good time of year. It's a great time of year. I love the MLB playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. How could you not? That's what you that's what you play all year for. And we've got wild card games coming up, which I will go on out on the limb and tell you I think is terrific. I know a lot of people will oh, it's gotta be two out of three. It's not you know what? It's sudden death, it's terrific. I agree with you on the wild card thing because to me I feel like you have hundred and sixty two games to win your division. If you want to avoid that wild card game, just go out and do that. That's exactly right. You're getting a reward for not winning your division, which you should be happy about. But, you know, I, I think one of the issues facing baseball nowadays, and you see this with replay and things like that, is people are so intent on getting things perfect. What is the absolute perfect way to do something? What is the absolute fairest way? And I think when you do that, you kind of forget the fact that we're in the entertainment business. And um, what's the most entertaining thing to do? And I think that a one-game playoff was a terrific idea. It really adds a lot to the postseason. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we got two interesting one-game playoffs already. I mean, Oakland-Tampa Bay is going to be fun on Wednesday. I like the the uh, Washington-Milwaukee game because those two teams, they had incredible runs that come from basically from the dead and get into the postseason. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, looking at those two games, I'm going to preface anything I say with nobody knows anything, Mike. You could sit there and you can watch whatever it is you watch, ESPN, MLB Network, and these very smart, astute baseball people, uh, much smarter than I am, will say, oh, here's who's going to win. Here's... Nobody has any idea. You know, I mean, um, I, I remember going out to Oakland when we were down two games to none in the ALDS, I guess it was, and I remember somebody saying, it's time to back up the truck. Like the, you know, and, and we scored six runs in the first inning. You know, so um, uh, you, you just don't know. I mean, does Tampa Bay go out to Oakland and score five in the first? It's a different game. Does Milwaukee go to Washington and get one hit through six innings? It's Well, you know, that decides the game. So very tough to pick. I have to go with the home teams. I think that's an advantage. Uh, I think the travel, you know, 
Tampa Bay going across country or uh, is going to be a little difficult. Uh, it should be a raucous atmosphere. It's certainly in Oakland. And so I'm going to go with the home teams. Yeah, it's a very logical choice there. And I remember that game you talked about here. That, was that the game that uh, Jeter made the miraculous flip throw coming across when they missed two yeah, Kaufman? Yeah, it kind of all runs together, but I, I kind of I, I think it was. We lost the first two games at home, and then we went out there. And uh, uh, Well, no, it was a different game because the game I'm thinking about was the game that we went out and scored six in the first inning. But, uh, yeah, that Jeter game, you know, going out there down two, two, two games to none and watching play i think the funniest thing about that is when you know we ultimately you know the next year or whatever got jason giambi you know jeremy's brother jeremy was the runner and you know jason shows up at spring training and asks like when do we practice that play from the playoff game (laughs) because jeter said oh we practiced that in spring training which was kind of crazy but anyway yeah, it was kind of crazy. Let's go to the Yankees for a bit. I mean, they've had quite a year. Cause, I mean, with all the injuries they had, I'm a Met fan. If the Mets had those injuries, they'd be like losing like 100 yeah. games. The Yankees make the playoffs. I feel like they have such a great story. I feel like they have such an interesting run here. See if they can get to that next World Series title. You know, I think it's a tremendous story. Probably one of the best, if not the best, team stories in baseball this year. And there are a few of them. I think what they have done, and it's a testament to Brian Cashman and also to Aaron Boone, I think they should both win their respective awards. But I do think there's an anti-Yankee bias uh, among the voters for these awards. So I think you got to really, you know, be heads and shoulders above the next guy. But uh, they've done an amazing job. If, you, if we had sat there in April and said, this is going to happen, you're going to lose this player for this amount of time, this player for this amount of time, this may, we would have said, come on, they're going to finish you know, just ahead of the Orioles. For, 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 but, but it's amazing. Um, they won over 100 games. Unfortunately for the Yankees, everything about their season is going to come down to what happens in the next two, three, four weeks. That's just the way it is in New York, and they set themselves up for that, and probably rightly so. You know, they they want to get to the World Series, and I think anything short of getting to the World Series will kind of put a you know a, a, a cloud over this season. But it's been a great season. So now they open up Friday against the Minnesota Twins, which <laughs> over the last five or so years, maybe longer, has been the you know the Washington Generals. So. We'll see what happens. What kind of pitching is there? Is, is Minnesota going to come into Yankee Stadium and get? Yeah, you brought the Twins up. I have some good numbers about that. I think since, like, I found this in Sports Illustrated list. I think last week they did a great story about the Yankees' ownership of the Twins. That right. They're 13-2 against them in the postseason since the turn right. of the century. And yep. they're 2000, since 2002, they're 87-35 against the yep. Twins. So why do you think it is that the Twins are just turning to pumpkins when they face the Yankees? Well, I think there's a lot of factors, and I think the biggest one is the Yankees have just had a better team. I don't think better teams have come into Yankee Stadium or, or, or hosted the Yankees and lost to them. I think the Yankees have been a better team. I think this, is, this, this season might be a little different. I really don't expect a different result. But you know what? Go out and prove me wrong. You know, I mean, you know, they've been the Washington Generals. To, to the Yankees, um, you know, and now they're kind of talking a little bit, you know, time to slay the dragon. Okay, got to go out and back it up. How good is your starting pitcher going to be? That's all that matters. It is all that matters, and I feel like that's going to be a very fun series because both those teams love to hit home runs, and I feel like it's going to be a lot of slugfest in those games. Well, 
you know what? I don't think that really happens in the postseason. That that's the that's the thing we have to wait and see. Are the Yankees going to hit five home runs on on Friday? You know what? Probably not. But if they don't hit multiple home runs, they traditionally don't really win. I mean, that's the most difficult thing. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time a team led the major leagues in home runs and won a World Series? You probably know the answer. I'm actually not sure on that one. Yeah, well, it was the 2009 Yankees. That's a long time ago. That is a long time ago. That's a long time ago. I mean, teams that are built to hit home runs and strike out a lot, which is almost like every team in the majors now, they struggle when they get to the postseason. We'll see if that plays out this year. But let's see what happens Friday and Saturday. Minnesota's going to have to come in. They're going to have to at least get one. And I think they got to get two in Minnesota because they're not coming back to Yankee Stadium for game five and winning. Yeah, I would not think so. So whoever wins that series probably could get the Astros unless something funky happens with the wild right. card winner there. Right. So, like, the Astros outmaneuver the Yankees, get that home field advantage late in right. the season. So, like, we saw it a couple of years ago when 17, when they played the ALCS, the home field was a huge deal that the home team won all seven games. Do you think something similar could happen again if these two meet up? Well, I think, as I said before, anything can happen, okay? Um, the Yankees go down to Houston and they take one or two games, game one or, or both, game one or two or both of them. You never know. But I've got to tell you, I can't think of another series where that home field advantage is more important than, you know, uh, Yankees-Astros. You look at the last time they met in the, in the postseason, you look at this year in the regular season. The home team generally wins the games. And, you know, you're going to go in there, you know, in two weeks, and you're going to be facing Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole probably, unless they do something funky to keep Greinke from pitching in New York. Um, You know, that's a tall order. That's a tall order. So I'll tell you one thing. You hope hope there's no upsets because that's a series that I want to see. Yeah, I'll be on my couch ready to watch all seven of those games if they come on. I'd be very excited about that one. Yeah, I think I think you know many people in baseball would be. Yeah, let's go to the National League for a little bit. I think we talked about Milwaukee a little bit. The thing that intrigues about Washington in in the wild card game is the fact that they have never won a playoff series since yep. they moved down there. And yep. and what, there's a theory going around like earlier that oh now that Bryce Harper is gone, the juju has changed around right. that team. Maybe it happens. Do you think that there is a, any sort of like real credence that year that like? You make a big locker room change, all of a sudden that clears the air and you start doing better in the playoffs? Uh, I do think there's something to be said for that. I'm not going to lay it all on Bryce Harper, um, but I I will definitely tell you I think it's a little bit different uh, Washington Nationals team this year. I think Rendon is really taking his place as one of the leaders of that team. And I'll tell you one thing, because I know him personally, uh, you're not going to find a better a better uh, uh, kid than Anthony Rendon. Let me tell you something. So I have a client who you know educates kids about staying away from performance-enhancing drugs, and we've put together a board with a player on every at least one player on every major league team. So Anthony Rendon is one of our two reps on the Nationals because Brian Dozier was the Twins guy, went to the Dodgers, went to the Nationals. But we had an event last Wednesday at the uh, at Nationals Park, right? And we asked through the PR guy, would Anthony Rendon, again, because he's done this every year, do a brief meet and greet with eight or nine people that paid to be in this fundraiser in a suite? No problem. So I'm told that 
They brought the group over, and he said, come with me, sit in the dugout. He stayed with these people for 20 to 25 minutes, when this is really a three- to five-minute thing. But he said, hey, I got nowhere to go. I'm not playing. Asked about them, took pictures, signed the autographs. This is a terrific kid, and he's taken over in the leadership role. I really hope the Nationals pony up and keep him, because you talk about a valuable player to a team. Anthony Rendon is it to the Nationals. That would be a huge loss, which I don't think that they can withstand. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you hear stories about that with, like, to a lesser scale, Pete Alonso at the Mets about how like yeah. they sort of get involved with the community and make themselves like a, like available to people. I feel like that's a great kind of quality to have. Yeah, and you know, you move to Alonso, and I know they're not in the playoffs, but what an unbelievable story! Um, just a great kid. Uh, baseball needs it badly. Um, doing all the right things. What he did, you know, with nine eleven, and you know, I mean, how old was was Pete Alonso in nine eleven? Twenty years ago. Five years old, but um, this is such a great story. I'm sure Pete will. Uh, I don't have a vote, but I, I got to think he's certainly in the running for my magazine's uh, Rookie of the Year, uh, and um, you know probably would get some attention for Player of the Year. Although with our Player of the Year, you only get to vote for three people, so it's it's you know it's really a limited group. But uh, it's been an incredible story. And then how about the way the Mets finished the season off? I mean, could you script that we're going to give Dominic Smith an at-bat here in the 12th, 11th inning, and he's going to hit the first pitch for a home run? I mean, that was really special. I do think the Mets are building something. Uh, I'd almost hate for to see Mickey Calloway lose his job uh, because I think the team plays really hard for him. And any misgivings you might have about his managerial abilities, you know, I think you only, you only improve. Um, so we'll see what happens there, but yeah, the Met thing is fascinating. Cause I turned that on yesterday. Like I was middle of football Sunday. I was working on some other stuff. I happened to flip it on the 12th and I have to see him come up. I'm like, Oh, this is cool. He gets in the bat and he slugs it over the right field wall. I'm like, this is the Mets to a T. They just don't quit this year. It's a lot of right. fun. I'll tell you another thing that we're talking about, about Mickey Calloway and managers losing their job. Explain to me how it makes sense that you allow Clint Hurdle to do his little before the last game, press briefing, and then you fire him, and he doesn't manage the last game. He basically goes home before the game starts. How does that make any sense? How does it make sense to tell Joe Madden the morning of the last game when your game means something? You're going to change managers. I don't get it. You know, I don't understand why the Red Sox picked the the middle of the Yankee series. You couldn't wait two days. There must be something that I don't know because these, th- these things seem to be things that the way not to do things. Hey, what's the worst possible thing we can do today? Well, let's let them do the media and then we'll fire them. So I, I don't understand. I don't, I really don't understand. Yeah, I don't get that either. It makes no sense. But let's go quickly to the NL side for a little bit. I mean, the storyline here is the Dodgers. I mean, who lost two World Series in a row. They are still the favorites to get back to a third. I mean, like, do you feel like there's a ton of pressure on them to try and get the job done here and win a title out in L.A.? Yeah, I absolutely do. And they're putting the pressure probably on themselves. Uh, They want to win a World Series. They don't want to just keep getting to the World Series. They want to win the World Series. It seems like 
on paper or looking at the regular season, you know what? They've got the most talent. They've got the best team, but it doesn't always play out that way. Somebody has a bad game. Ryu, go, Ryu goes out there and, you know, has a dud or Kershaw or, you know, and somebody else pitches lights out or pitches the game of his life. Uh, that's the great thing about the sport. You just don't know. Yeah, you really don't know. Not what I don't know about is like the Braves and the Cardinals, who were two teams who were kind of getting mixed reviews preseason. Now they're both in there. They're going to play each other. One of them is going to yeah. get, get a shot at the Dodgers, most likely. I mean, like stuff like that is really interesting to me. It's like, I don't know what's going to happen there. It's going to be fun to see like which of these teams emerges and kicks the shot at the World Series. Well, I'm going to make a prediction. Here's a prediction I'm pretty comfortable with, and you'll be able to tell me if I'm right or wrong in a month, okay? Okay. It won't go according to script. Okay, the postseason will not follow the script that people generally will write for it. Something's going to happen. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody, you know, somebody's not going to pitch well. Somebody's going to have a slump. So it's it's not going to go that. That's why you play the games. I mean, uh, they're not played on paper. So, uh, you know, I just, it's going to be fascinating. It will be fascinating. I mean, preseason, I think I picked the Astros and Nationals to be in the World Series. So I will write my prediction hoping that I'm right about it. But that would definitely fit your bill of something going off script there. Yeah, that would be off script, but you know it's not outside the realm of possibility. I think it's a tall order for the Nationals uh, to get that far since they've got to go through the wild card game. But you know something funky is going to happen. Something funky will happen, and we'll circle back real quick. You mentioned you, you baseball dies is doing the Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year awards. Can you tell me a little bit about what goes into that? Some of the categories that your that your uh, magazine votes on. Yeah, well, uh, we have had this is the 50th anniversary of Baseball Digest Player of the Year Award. Uh, it goes back to 1969 when Tom Seaver was the first recipient. And then in 1994, they split the award into a Player of the Year and a Pitcher of the Year, uh, which means that this is the 25th anniversary of the Pitcher of the Year. And then back in 2013, they, they added the Relief Pitcher of the Year. So, you know, one of the things that I did where it was basically voted on internally by the editor and it, it, the, the small staff that the magazine has, uh, I, I put together last year a 15-member uh, panel, voting panel, to vote for the three awards that includes, it's a blue-ribbon panel of writers, broadcasters, executives, former players, it includes, you know, Bob Costas. Um, in fact, it, we went from 15 to 17 this year because we added Matt Vaskurgeon, the voice of Sunday Night Baseball, and a Hall of Fame writer, Tracy Ringlesby. Uh, we have Harold Reynolds, Costas, Steve Phillips, Jim Duquette, Eduardo Perez. Uh, it's a terrific uh, panel. I have a great deal of respect for them, uh, and they vote. Their votes are due by noon, and so far I've got nine of the. 17 votes in, so I will be tallying, and we will announce it via the Associated Press on Thursday at 12 noon. So we're very excited about that. And then after the World Series, the week after the World Series, we will announce our, I believe, 48th AL and NL Rookie of the Year, as well as our Rookie All-Star team. Uh, and that's voted on by our writers that do the six-season division previews. That sounds like a lot of fun. I know last year Jacob DeGrom won the Pitcher of the Year for Baseball Dodgers. Unanimously, yeah, unanimously. I don't think he's going to get it this year, but I'm going to throw one prediction out there to be very bold. Okay. No Met relievers are going to win Reliever of the Year. 
No, boy, you know what? When you look at, and you know, this is the question that I have, right? How do you blame Mickey Calloway for that? Do you know that the Mets bullpen set a record for ninth inning home runs? Uh, and I think that Diaz set the individual record, most home runs allowed in the ninth inning. Um, listen, you went out and got the best closer in the game. You bring that guy in. You know, he didn't make the wrong decisions there. So the bullpen, I mean, the Mets won, I believe, 85 games, which is exactly what I picked them to win when they put their team together. I said, that's an 85-win team. It's not a 90-win team. It's not a 95. It's an 85-win team. Okay? So everybody needs to cool their jets and... You know, okay, let's build upon that. Let's get to a 95-win team. You know what? If Edwin Diaz was Edwin Diaz, uh, you know? They're probably playing today. What's that? They're probably playing tomorrow if they're a 95-win team. They would be playing, yeah. yeah. But anyway, you got to focus on next year. Uh, I think they can I, – I, I think they're, they're kind of knocking at the door. Now, look, is Pete Alonso going to hit 50 home runs plus every, every – uh, every, no, probably not. Especially, remember, they're not going to be playing with this ball next year. Or at least they better not be playing with this ball next year. Because it's a problem. It's a problem. Let me give you a number, okay? Sure. Do you know that last year there were 3,652 home runs hit in, tri- in AAA baseball? I did not know that. 3,652 home runs. This year... They went to the Major League Baseball, okay? Yeah. They changed the ball. They went to the Major League ball. You know how many home runs were at this year in AAA? I'm guessing a lot more than 3,652. 5,747. That's insane. That's more than 2,000 more. That's all you need to know. Yep. That's all you need to know. Bottom line is, it happened, and anybody that wants to suggest, and trust me, Mike, they suggest it to me all the time. Well, this is what baseball wanted. They, they wanted the ball to be juiced. They wanted more home runs. Mike, you think an owner's going to say, you know, I want to play my I got to pay my guys more money, so let's, let's have them hit more home runs. Because if a guy goes in after a season in which he's hit 51 home runs, 49 home runs, 47 home runs. You don't think he's in a better bargaining position than if he hit 35, 34, 30, whatever it might have been? So it happened. It didn't happen on purpose. Nobody said we need to juice the ball up. Trust me, nobody did that. But it's got to be fixed. Yeah, I mean, when you have years, I mean, like, no offense to this guy. I love, like, Brett Gar yeah. as a player. He hit 25 home yeah. runs here. He's not a 25 home run hitter. Well, you know, look at, like, Rene Rivera. Um, is it, uh, yeah, he hit 25 in the minors for the Mets. Yeah, I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I mean, you got pitchers hitting. You know, I think I think, I think think it was Joe Girardi that said it best, that it, it, it's the fact that there's so many opposite field home runs, even by pitchers. I mean, it's getting crazy. Baseball cannot be a game where it's home run or nothing. I'll tell you something real quick. Sure. I, you know, you watch that show, and they do it every week on MLB Network. They do a great job on this, the plays of the week. And you can't believe the plays that every week are being made. It's unbelievable. These guys are such gifted athletes now. When I was growing up, this would probably be one week of, of great plays would be like a year. 
Now, in those days, I grant it, you didn't see every, you didn't, if it happened in Pittsburgh, you didn't see it in New York. You know, if it happened in San Diego, in Kansas, you didn't see these plays until a man named Warner Wolf, you know, an iconic New York sportscaster, started the let's go to the videotape, and he would show you plays from out of town, and then baseball had, you know, this week in baseball where you, where you started seeing things. But when I was growing up in the 60s and early 70s, you didn't see these other plays. But these are spectacular defensive plays. You need to put the ball in play more. That's what makes the game great. Things happening, base runners moving. To sit back and either strike out, walk, or hit a home run is not good for the game. I think baseball will fix it. I don't know how this happened. I'd like to think that their quality control is such that they don't get an aberration like this. But, you know, this is going to be a season we look back at kind of like with a mental asterisk. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Rick, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to the All play- right, Michael. Before Baseball I- Digest. Yeah, Subscribe pe- today, baseballdigest.com or any Barnes & Noble or better newsstands. Yeah, how do people follow Baseball Digest on social media, too? That's another way to keep up. Very simple. I would, the best thing to do, and we'd love to have you, is follow us on Twitter. Um, it's just at Baseball Digest, one word to, on Twitter, at Baseball Digest, Cap B, Cap D, you'll find it. Um, we'd love to have you. Yeah, I follow it already on Twitter. It's a great follow. Rick, thanks again. I really appreciate it. All right, it. Michael. Thank you. All right, and that was Rick Cerrone from Baseball Digest talking all about the MLB playoffs. Up next, show me the money, NFL picks for week number five right after this. Show me the money. All right, it's time to show me the money. NFL picks for week number five. Time just flies in the football season. Joining me today, somebody we last talked to back in March for fantasy baseball, but a very big Giants fan who's done the picks before. Phil Lombardo back here to do the picks this week. Phil, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me on again. Not a problem. And since I last talked to you, we went through the entire fantasy baseball season. So how'd you do this year? Uh, I, I did okay. You know, I um, I was only in one league this year, uh, your league. So you know how I did. I finished first in the regular or second in the regular season and uh, was in first all year. My team started to get some injuries. Blake Snell goes down. Woodruff goes down. Um, I lose Fernando Tatis. And everything kind of went downhill from there. But I did at least salvage third place and get my money back, which yeah. is always a nice thing. Yes, you did. You finished better than me. You finished in sixth place in that league. I made the playoffs and just flamed after one round. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's tough. Baseball, the baseball season's a marathon. So, you know, sometimes the injuries just don't fall your way. You just hope that they happen at the right time in the season to get you through the playoffs. But sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Yeah, and we happen to play each other in fantasy football this coming week in my league. So good luck to you this week. Oh, I didn't know that. All right, yeah, good luck to you, too. Yeah, I see you're about to pick up a big win on, on uh, this week. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's going to be big because in, uh, in, in your league, I uh, I definitely need a win, that's for sure. Yeah, and you're about to beat a 3-0 and squad, so shout-out to Eric Alvarado, wherever he is. You just lost to Phil Lombardo, so now you are no longer unbeaten. <laughs> yeah, happy to, happy to deal on his first loss. Okay, so let's get to the football, the reason you're here today, which is the 
New York football giants today. We saw them beat up the Redskins pretty bad yesterday, 24-3. So what was your big takeaway from that football game? Well, I had the uh, pleasure of being in attendance for that game, and um, I got to see everything up close and personal. And what I saw was a renewed energy on defense, and that's I think that's a, that was a really important thing. And I think, and yeah, sure, it does have something to do with the fact that they the defense got behind Daniel Jones, uh, especially after his performance against Tampa Bay last week. But it also has a lot to do with a lot a young guy, young guys. They have a lot of young players, a lot of rookies, a lot of inexperienced players that are just getting their bearings. Um, I saw a guy named Ryan Connolly, who they drafted in the fourth round, who. Unfortunately, I think he went down to an ACL injury. Um, I'm not sure how serious it is yet, but uh, it didn't look great. Um, but he really just looked like he had control of that defense, and he was moving them around and, and getting everybody in the right position. He had gotten an interception and a sack before he went down with that injury. Um, and, you know, I, I saw Jabril Peppers looking like he had uh, something to prove, especially, you know, him replacing Landon Collins and Landon Collins being on the other side of the ball. Um, I thought that had a lot to do with it. And, you know, you just sometimes you, you just you run into a team that's a little lost, and the Redskins definitely looked a little lost yesterday. Yeah, they did look very lost yesterday. And I did fact-check on Twitter. Ryan Connolly is out for the season for the Giants. That's a big loss for them. But let's talk about Daniel Jones a little bit more. So now we've seen him play two football games. They've won both football games since he's taken over for the st- Eli Manning as the starter. So... What's your takeaway from somebody, from Daniel Jones, somebody who's watched every snap of him, which I admit I have not had a chance to do? Well, you know, so I, I see somebody who is wise beyond his years. You know, he obviously a smart kid, graduated from Duke, um, has a really good head on his shoulders, just very cool, calm, collected. Um, even when he has pressure in his face, he seems like he's in control. And I know that he uh, didn't have – the best performance when it came to throwing the football yesterday, he had, he was more like Danny Nichols than Danny Dimes at at times yesterday. He made a couple of questionable throws through behind some receivers, even some balls that he completed. The passes weren't as crisp as they were in Tampa last week. But what I do did see that I loved is somebody that can extend the play. And in the NFL in 2019, I think it's crucial that you can, you need to be able to in the, at the quarterback position, extend the play, and not necessarily be able to run for first downs, which you can do that, but if you can just extend that play a little bit and give receivers a little more time to find that hole in the defense, it'll pay huge dividends and it'll keep drives going. Oh, I agree. I said the same thing on the podcast last week because I basically pointed out, like, you know, he doesn't have to be Lamar Jackson scrambling for 100 yards and, for, and running for three touchdowns a week. If he can just, you know, keep the pot play alive, buy his receiver a little more time to get open, those are the kinds of plays that can break, that can win you games in this league. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Um, we saw it a little more against Tampa, him just sliding in the pocket and making huge plays out of it. But yesterday, you know, he was able to just kind of shimmy away from just some defenders and throw these little short passes and extend some drives. And a couple of times, which I don't know if people noticed, on plays that he extended, it ended up resulting in a holding penalty on the defense with the receiver being able to cut back across his defender's chest, the defender reaches their arm out, they get a little jersey, and then the flag gets thrown. So it's little things like that that don't really show up on the scorecard that make a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. And this week, they get a step-up in competition defensively, for sure, as they play the Minnesota Vikings, who they looked bad against the Bears yesterday. They're 2-2 two and two on the year. Giants are home for that game. What do you think the expectation should be for the Giants here? Do you think they have a shot to win this game? I mean, I think they have a shot to win. I, I, I see... A Minnesota Vikings team who is very frustrated right now. Um, you, you saw what Adam Thielen said about Kirk Cousins and basically 
their ineptitude on offense. Um, so they're going to be coming into New York and playing a team that maybe isn't as talented as they are and might be down a, a couple of pieces, but a team that's got a renewed confidence. Like I said before, you know, they, they're coming off two straight victories. They, um, they're able to get a division win, um, which, I mean, against the Redskins might not be the most impressive thing, but it's still a division win. And, um, you know, they just they seem like they're they're finding their identity a little more with Daniel Jones. And um, what I'd like to see next week is incorporating Golden Tate because getting him back, I think, is a little bit bigger than people might realize. You know, he's a very versatile player, and I know that he spent most of his time playing in the slot, and that's pretty much occupied by Sterling Shepard nowadays. But I saw in the preseason him able to make plays on the outside, too. So he's a veteran receiver with great hands, great body control, and I think that if Jones is able to get him involved early and often, it's going to add an entirely new wrinkle to this offense. Absolutely, and that's going to be a fun game to watch. I'll never keep my eye on it because the same, honestly, not as the Jet games, the Jets look up, look like they'll be starting Luke Falk. Yeah, I'm definitely not be watching the Jets most likely. Yeah, I mean, I, I I feel for the Jets. You know, they're just in a really rough position offensively right now. And, and you know, you, nobody could have ever predicted what happened to Darnold. Nobody could have ever predicted what happened to Simeon. Not that he looked great, but you know, did we have to start a guy like Luke Falk for a few games during the season? It's it's never good for any team. No, it's not. And this is a spot where I feel like with them, you know what? Like, don't mess with Darnold's spleen. He's the future of this franchise. I mean, he needs like six weeks to heal. He needs six weeks to heal. Don't like mess with it on the off chance that you happen to get lucky and win a game. <laughs> well, quick offshoot of this. When I was in college, I had walking mono, didn't know it, played football, and I got hit in the side, ended up rupturing my spleen, and I went to the I had to go to the hospital. I was rushed to the hospital and had to get surgery. So um, it wasn't playing in the NFL obviously, but it happens. And uh, you can get hurt easily because your spleen's enlarged. It's exposed above the ribcage. And if you get hit in the wrong spot, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, and I mean, you're playing basically like two-hand touch, basically like like rough, like rough. Like, yeah, it, it, yeah. Like, it, was, not, it was rough touch. Rough touch. It was not the equivalent of having a 280-pound defensive lineman sprinting at full speed at you. Exactly, and if it could happen to me playing rough touch, imagine what could happen if a defensive tackle lands on Darnold. Yeah, yeah so let's get to the picks. This is the reason you're actually here today. So uh, to reset, Troy Moriello was here for Team Challengers last week. He went 2-1. and one. He took the Chargers laying 15.5 in Miami. He won that one easily after the Dolphins put up a fight in the first half. He had the Pats minus 7, narrowly lost there because the Pats only won by 6. And he had the Bears minus 2.5, crushing the Vikings, and that's what happened. I went 2-1 and one on the week. The Falcons were the one who screwed me. I had them minus four against Tennessee. They were never in the football game. I had, I went with both the dogs I took. I took uh, the Panthers plus four in Houston. They won the game outright. I took Minshew Magic and the Jags plus three in Denver. They won that game outright. So on the year, I am 9-3. and three. The Challengers back to 500, 6-6. Six six. Phil, as the guest, you may go first. So where are you going to go with pick number one? Well, first I want to say 9-3. and three, That's pretty impressive. So, uh, good on you for uh, starting the season that hot. Uh, my first pick, I, uh, I feel kind of bad because I'm going to use the same teams that Tom used the week prior. But I'm going to take Los Angeles, the Chargers, uh, 6.5 over uh, Denver. And normally I'd say in a divisional game, anything over three points is a risky bet. But Phillip Rivers has gotten off to a more efficient start every year with age. And uh, Denver doesn't seem like they are a team that has a clue how to win a football game. 
Uh, in Denver, I'd be hesitant to favor the Chargers, but at home with Melvin Gordon coming back, Rivers gets another big-time weapon to play with. I see this possibly getting out of hand even. Um, I'm taking the Chargers minus six and a half. Yeah, that's a good, p- p- that's a good pick, Phil. I like that one because I feel like the Chargers are playing very well right now, and Denver's look like a disaster. I feel like it's a very bad, bad look for them so far going 0-4, but let's go to your next pick. Where are you going with number two? I'm going to have to go with the uh, the Patriots. They are um, a well-oiled machine right now, and normally you see them have a few hiccups early in the season, but they look like they just picked up right where they left off last year, um, and they have the pleasure of playing possibly the worst team in the NFL. And I know you think you're thinking Dolphins, but no, the Redskins, they're an absolute mess right now. And I'd even go as far to say that 16, minus 16 is too low. New England is, um, they're just a perennial powerhouse and they score at will, it seems like. And I know the Redskins' defense isn't the problem necessarily, but I don't think they can do anything about stopping Tom Brady and all of his weapons. Um, I don't care if Chase Keenan Sterling or Dwayne Haskins. They both looked awful last week, and I don't see anybody playing with any sort of compassion under Jay Gruden. So he's basically a dead man walking on the sidelines. I don't see why he's still there, to be honest. And outside of Terry McLaurin, they have absolutely nobody on offense and basically less than NFL talent out there. So uh, I don't see this game staying within three scores, and I wouldn't be surprised if there was maybe a game that we saw Miami play against Baltimore week one. Uh, it could get really ugly out there. Yes, it absolutely could. And another thing to note here, they do make the switch and go to Dwayne Haskins. Bill Belichick's against rookie quarterbacks is really, really good. So this could get very ugly for him very quick. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, let's go to pick number three for you. Where are you going? Well, I had to take one dog, you know, to make it fun for myself. And uh, last year, I don't know if you remember, but the lunch game ended up biting me in the behind at the last second with the Chargers-Titans. So I'm going to go with the London game again. I'm going to pick the Raiders. They get five and a half at Chicago, but it's in London, so this is a neutral site game, obviously. Um, I could be setting myself up for failure again, but I uh, I feel like these games are either super close or they're blowouts. And um, I know there might be some Bears fans out there relieved to see Chase Daniel under center, but I saw him play against the Giants last year. And I know that he's a sucker for the turnover. And um, I just don't see them being much more efficient than they were with Mitchell Trubisky back there. Um, Oakland has some more playmakers than they get credit for. Um, I like Terrell Williams. I think he's a good guy to get over the top of defenses. Derek Carr, I think, is a very underrated quarterback. I know that people say he might not be able to make all the passes, but he's completing 72% this year. So uh, I think with his safety blanket, Darren Waller out there catching balls and... Um, Chicago's ability to get exposed by tight ends this year. They're actually in the bottom third of the league in covering tight ends uh, so far this year. I think Carr's going to get the ball out fast. He's going to move the ball around a little bit. He's going to be able to take advantage of a little jet lag in that Bears defense. So uh, I don't think that this game is going to be a high-scoring game, but I do think Oakland's not only going to cover, but I do think they're going to surprise people and win this one. All right, so it's a three-foot pixel and fill there. I'm going up with pick number one. I'm taking this team off of what I saw last night. I'm taking the Saints, laying the five-and-a-half at home against Tampa Bay. Look, Tampa Bay did a very good job yesterday out in L.A. They blew the Rams out. They put up 55 points on the Rams, but 
The Saint defense in that dome is no joke. Look what they did to the Cowboys last night with pretty much a healthy team. They bottled up Zeke Elliott. Dak couldn't find anybody open. I feel like they're going to have a field day with James Winston, who likes to turn the football over in case people forgot. So I think they will run efficient offense. They'll score their points. I think this is a 10-point victory for the Saints. They'll give me New Orleans laying 5.5 at home against Tampa for pick one. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I I agree with you. I think this is a this is a game where, you know, Tampa might have used all their mojo last week. So uh, I uh, I agree with you there that the Saints are – they look really good with even with Teddy Bridgewater. I, I think they're just a well-coached team, and uh, I just don't trust James at all. I, I think that he's going to – when he has a good game, the next one's not a good game. So he's just too inefficient for me. All right, that's pick number one for me. Pick number two, I'm taking the Minnesota Vikings, getting laying four and a half in MetLife against the Giants. I think this is just the case that this is the first real NFL defense Daniel Jones will see because I don't count the Redskins or the Bucks in that regard. I think he's going to have some rookie mistakes. The Vikings are going to run the football very well with Dalvin Cook. I feel like they're going to take a point in this game. The Giants' secondary is vulnerable. I feel like they're going to try and air it out a bit to Diggs and Adam Thielen. I think the Vikings end up winning this game by a touchdown. So give me Minnesota laying four and a half at MetLife for pick number two. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say I disagree with you there. Like I said, I could see the Giants winning the game. Obviously, they're capable of doing it, but Minnesota is the better team. And uh, it seems like minus four and a half might be giving the Giants defense a little too much credit for their performance against the Redskins. All right, that's pick number two for me. And pick number three, I'm taking an underdog two. I'm taking the Packers getting four and a half in Dallas against the Cowboys this week. Look, what happened to the Cowboys last night was not very good. They lost left tackle Tyron Smith to a high ankle sprain. He's going to be out for this game. That's a big loss on offensive line, especially with the Packers' newfound pass rush. Their defense, they had a bad game against the Eagles, but they had 10 days to get ready for this game. And you know, just as well as I do, Aaron Rodgers loves to torture the Dallas Cowboys. So I think he's got a big game in Big D. I think the Packers win this game outright. So give me Green Bay getting four and a half points against the Cowboys, my final pick of the week. I mean, it's it's a it's a result I'd like to see happening. Being a Giants fan, um, however, I, I for some reason I just feel like the Cowboys at home after uh, their performance in New Orleans might put up a little more of a fight than you think. Okay, so to reset the picks here, Phil has gone with the Chargers laying six and a half at home against the hapless Broncos. The Pats laying 16 against the Redskins. The Raiders getting 5.5 in London against the Bears. I have gone with the Saints laying 5.5 at home against famous Jameis and the Buccaneers. The Minnesota Vikings laying 4.5 in MetLife against the Giants. And the Green Bay Packers getting 4.5 points in Big D against the Cowboys. And those are your picks for week number five of Show Me the Money. And just a little teaser for who's coming week six. Our good friend Will Smith, the Dallas Cowboy fan, will be on next week doing picks for Show Me the Money. Your thoughts? Boo! No, I'm just kidding. I I, I love Will, um, yeah. even though he is a Cowboys fan, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm sure he'll uh, he'll pick a few winners. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah, Cowboys Jets next week. So I wanted the Cowboy fan on next week to uh, have that experience, but it's probably not going to be a close game there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can't see it being a close game, but uh, hey, you know what? I'll be rooting for the Jets. That's for sure. Absolutely. And before I let you go, I know you're a big Met fan, so I talk Mets at the top of the show, so. If you were in charge of the Mets this offseason, what would your plan be to take this team from an 86-win squad to one that's in the playoffs and winning a division? Well, I think um, you have two options when it comes to free agency um, on, on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I think that uh, you either got to go after a guy like Anthony Rendon to sure up third base, 
or you got to try to go out and get a center fielder. Now, obviously, I think Rendon would be an amazing addition, and he, he'll make any lineup that much better. He's one of the best hitters in baseball, and there's no debating that. Um, but I do think that the outfield was exposed on the defensive side, and if you can get a guy that's a pretty efficient hitter but also a big glove back there, um, manning center field, I think it would make a huge difference for the Mets. So either way, um, I'm good on that side, but you got to try to get one of the two at least. Yeah, definitely got a lot of work through the Mets. A lot of interesting questions for us to keep an eye on throughout the season. Phil, thanks for all the time today. Before I let you go, do you have any social media handles you'd like to plug? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, uh, I, I I put up a lot of uh, a lot of posts about sports and whatnot on my uh, Instagram at times. So uh, yeah, a, a lot of golf stuff, a lot of football stuff. So come uh, come find me. My uh, Instagram handle is Philpigrass. P H I L T O G-R-A-P-H-S. All right, Phil Tagraphs on Instagram. That's Phil Lombardo doing your Week 5 NFL picks. Up next, this week's two-minute drill, where I lay out two big issues with the NFL right now. That's coming up right after this. All right, we are back to these two-minute drill. A little a bit of thoughts on NFL Week 4 here. It was a lot of fun this week. There was a lot of great games. I mean, the Chief-Lion game was a lot of fun going back and forth, seeing all the craziness there. You had Minshew Magic in Denver as Gardner Minshew takes the Jaguars back from down a lot to win at the gun in Denver. You had the classic defensive struggle on Sunday Night Football between the Cowboys and the Saints. A lot of fun this weekend in the NFL, but... There were a couple of things with this league that are concerning me right now about the direction they're trying to go here. Number one, the this concerns an article that came out of The Athletic earlier this week from Daniel Kaplan. basically saying the NFL has finally abandoned the 18-game schedule, which is great. But, and there's always a but with them, we are going to 17 now as the pros of the league wants. The NFL is pitching to the NFL Players Association as part of its negotiations for a new collective bargaining agreement that they want the 17th game. They will take off a preseason game or two to make that happen. And the fact they're off of 18 is good. Packer CEO Mark Murphy in the article points out the fans are not being in favor of the idea that the players only have to play 16 of the 18 games, which, duh. No one wants to see preseason-level action in the regular season. That was not going to work. The owners also are floating playoff expansion in this proposal as well because they want to get that extra playoff game in there. That would be an extra two per conference. So the only the number one seed would get buys. Two would play seven, and then three would play six, four would play five as usual. That would still get us to our second round where we have the four games on divisional weekend. And whether that's two triple headers whether that's a game on Monday night. That's something that the league clearly wants. They want to sell those playoff games and make some extra cash. And my question to all this is this. Why? Why, NFL, must you insist on missing with a perfect formula you have here? The regular season schedule is perfect. And I don't think we need the extra playoff teams. It's hard enough to get in the playoffs. You shouldn't be making it easier for teams to make the NFL playoffs. You really shouldn't. And 
What would make them stop from adding only one extra team? How you know in five years now, like I say, geez, this is working so well. Let's add another playoff team, get another two playoff games in there, and have four from each conference. Why not? You can make money. That's all they care about. Now, you do that, that brings the 16 teams and half the leagues in the playoffs every year. Then you're becoming no different than the NBA or the NHL, which have two months of playoffs to fill. You're trying to cram it all into a span of three weeks. That's not going to work. And the other concern I have with this plan is the 17 games. Where is the 17th game being played? The way it's set up now is symmetrical. you got eight home, eight road. Is the 17th game a neutral site for everybody? Is everyone going to London or Mexico City or China or Australia or wherever the NFL wants to go? Is that the solution? If not, are we having some teams getting nine one year and eight the next year? That doesn't seem very fair. Imagine if you're a playoff team and the next year you have the nine road games where your biggest rival has eight road games. That's a big advantage having the extra home game. That's a problem. Are we building an extra bye weeks to accommodate this? Because most of the time when these teams go on these neutral site games, they're getting the bye right afterwards. Are we building extra buy-in to take advantage of that? Or are we just going to go with one again and play 17 games in 18 weeks? Which I don't think is very smart. That's wild number one. We have way too much football there. Number two, and this is the other problem with the Procter now, is the officiating so inconsistent. It's so bad across the board. I mean, look at that pack at that uh, Chief Lion game, for example. We have that bizarre sequence in the third quarter of that game where the Lions are driving down. Kenny Galladay makes a tremendous catch in the end zone for a touchdown. We go to the booth review. All of a sudden, nope. The ball hit the ground. It's incomplete. And then next play, carry on Johnson fumbles. Mark, uh, the Chiefs pick it up running for a touchdown. That sequence helps swing the entire game off a bad call from officials. And then again, we have, again, these questionable pass interference reviews, which have been going on all year. Not much getting overturned, even when it looks like to us that the play should have been overturned. If you're going to do that, you're not going to overturn anything. Why did we do this? Why did we add this extra layer to the coach's challenge and say, you know what, the coaches can challenge bad pass interference calls if you're not going to overturn any of them? Why are we doing that? Why are we wasting our breath on this? And a lot of these calls are bad and should be changed. That's problem number two. And inconsistency on these helmet-to-helmet hits as well. Vontez Burfecht destroyed Jack Doyle yesterday in a game. He gets ejected. The league is not considered suspending him for the whole season based on his history. Whereas in Buffalo, Josh Allen gets obliterated by one of the Patriots. Gets the flag, but the Patriots not get thrown out of the game. And Sean McDermott was livid after the football game because... What makes that hit any different than the one Vontez Burfecht laid out? What does? Really? We're using that kind of incremental judgment about these uh, helmet-to-helmet hits. We've had missed face masks. We've had very dangerous plays because the officials are incompetent. The NFL wants to add more games to this thing. And you're going to dilute the product again. They don't get this. We're going to have more cases of the rest missing big calls. We're going to have more helmet-to-helmet hits knocking out players in games. I mean, look so far after four games, how many teams are on their backup quarterback already? The Jags lost Nick Foles week one. Sam Darnold's been out for the Jets at Mono. 
Drew Brees and Ben Roethlisberger are out. Mitchell Trubisky just went out for the Bears yesterday, the shoulder issue. Josh Allen went out of the game yesterday. That's six off the top of my head. And that's not even counting the teams who changed their quarterback for performance reasons, like the Giants and the Redskins. Already, after four games, eight teams have a different starting quarterback than they began the year with. That's a problem. That's going to get better when you add extra games to the schedule? I don't think so. The NFL needs to think very, very, very carefully about these changes they make to the sport. I would not add the extra game right now. I would work on fixing my officiating because you got to make sure these guys are better. You really do. They're going to wreck the sport if you don't. you got to fix that. You can't tell you're worried about player safety when you're adding extra games, not extra rest. I think the NFL is treading a very dangerous line here. And they say, oh, the league is so popular. We will never not be popular. Tell it to boxing fans. Back in the day, boxing was the most popular sports in America. Now, nobody watches boxing outside of diehards. Nobody. The NFL could be going down that path if it's not very careful. I mean, if you're a parent of a kid and you see some of these hits in these games, why would you want your son to play football? This is stuff that the NFL has to get a handle on. And until until they do, they are risking killing the golden goose, a point I made before on this podcast. So be very, very, very careful, NFL. Be very careful here. I don't trust you guys to get it right. Hopefully I'm wrong, but I just don't trust you guys to not screw up the pooch here. All right, and that will do for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Rick Cerrone, for calling in to talk all about the MLB playoffs. That's some great stories in there as well. Also, I want to thank Phil Lombardo for calling in to do the Week 5 NFL picks in Show Me the Money. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my look at Spider-Man's returns on the Marvel Cinematic Universe, check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now, for the first time, Spotify. So you can go to any of those platforms, search for Just and the Suffering there. You can find all the old episodes there, including last week's hockey preview with Pete Considori. That one's still a good episode. I definitely recommend go back in the archives, check that one out. Feel free to leave your feedback and star rating in order to help make this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me at the hashtag face of the franchise. It made it to the end of this week's show. Next week, we're going to talk some more football, keep you up to date on the MLB playoffs, do some NFL picks, and more. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Denver Broncos fans. Yeah.